come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Should we pray together? Father, we pray that as we look to you this morning, you may guide us, you may teach us, and we may hear you, perhaps in a way we never have done before. In Jesus' name, amen. Should take our seats. So good morning. Let me add my welcome to you this morning. It's brilliant to be here and to speak and share a bit this morning. Uh, and as Joe said, we're nearing the end of our series on prayer. Uh, we'll finish next week. Um, well actually, we'll be finishing, this will be the last Thursday, I imagine, because next week we're into Lent. But this is, this Thursday, we're looking at uh, listening. The, 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 the task of prayer to listen to God's call. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be a bit testimony-based. I want to share a bit of my story uh, with you and hopefully uh, some lessons that maybe I've, I've discovered uh, listening to God's call and how I ended up uh, getting ordained. So hopefully that'll be okay. Now, Kathy spoke on Sunday uh, and I was at the 10.30 service um, and I was struck by something she said. She, she talked about the prayer life of Jesus being a mixture of withdrawal and involvement. Withdrawal and involvement. Times of retreat to listen and times where he actively ministered to people and, and all the time he was still listening whilst he was doing. You know, with the, the, the cases of withdrawal, the, const, the, the, the Gospels constantly talk about Jesus withdrawing to pray. You know, just looking at uh, the, gospel, the Gospel of Mark is, as one example, in chapter 1, He's in the middle of ministering to lots of people and it says he withdrew to pray. He got up early in the morning and he withdrew to pray. In chapter 6, before he feeds the 5,000 and after he feeds the 5,000, he seeks to withdraw. And then in chapter 14, Mark 14, he, he ultimately he withdraws to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in prayer and petition and listening to God, he is able to get the strength to go through the, with the cross. But then he's also, the Gospels record him listening whilst he was doing. He seems to be a, a constant prayer, not in conversation with God all the time. In John chapter 4, when he's having this engagement with the woman at the well, um, it's clear that he's still constantly praying and listening as he gets a word of knowledge about her relationship status. He's talking to her and he just says, yes, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have, you've had five husbands. He's listening to the will of God. In John chapter 11, as, a, as I just read to us, whilst weeping over the death of Lazarus, he is praying and in conversation still with his father, and he's listening to him. We know he's listening because he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He's still having a conversation. He knew God had answered his prayer, and that was before Lazarus had come out of the tomb. So withdrawal and involvement, how do we listen in both of those places. Now, I could chat a little bit about the first, but honestly, I'm rubbish at it. <laughs> when it comes to retreat, when it comes to uh, you know, setting aside quiet time, it's something I can just about do, but it doesn't come naturally to me, and I know you could teach me far more than I could teach you. Um, but I do want to speak a little bit more about the involvement side of things. How do we listen to God 
whilst we're doing. Uh, and I want to do that through uh, sharing, as I said, my testimony of, God, of my calling to ordination. Now, I know ministers are meant to have three-point sermons, aren't they? Um, I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever done a three-point sermon. Uh, and this morning is no different because uh, I've got four points. <laughs> so hopefully that'll be okay. Now, I've shared before at this service how when I was at university... I wandered away from my faith. I uh, walked away from church. I didn't go to church at all, pretty much, for my first three years there. Um, But in my final year, I began tentatively to come back to church and engage with it. I kind of dipped my toe in the water. I went to the odd Sunday service, but more I found a small group on a Tuesday night that I I kind of liked uh, with students. Um, I wasn't in the middle of church doing lots of things. I was just kind of just on the fringes. And at this point, um, my home church, the one I'd gone to when I was 14, uh, they got in contact. It was my old youth worker who was now one of the leaders of the church. He rang up and said, "Um, we've been having a think, we've been having a pray, and we think we'd like to invite you to come and do an internship with us. Now, as I said, at university, I had not been living for Jesus. And I said, do you realize what I've been doing? And I'm, you know, you don't want me. That's definitely not a right idea. And he said, no, no. We, that's fine, we, we're okay that you've, you've wandered away, we'd still like to invite you to come and uh, spend some time a year with us doing an internship. And this is my first point, that sometimes listening to God in prayer uh, is not a solo activity. I don't think anything in the Christian life is something we do on our own. And often, other people can hear the will of God for you and in your life better than you can. <laughs> Definitely that's my experience, that other people hear better than I do. So we listen and we discern the will of God in prayer together. So I thought, you know, I'll go and give it a, I'll give it a whirl. I didn't think this was right for me to go and work for a church, but I thought I'll go, and, I'll go on a Sunday and just kind of check it out. And when I'd left the church when I was 18, I, I was dissatisfied with church in general. Uh, I'd had a few problems with that church, but it seemed that every problem I had had kind of gone away. They'd either sorted it or it just didn't matter to me anymore. And I walked into the place and I just knew that I was home. I just knew, just deeply within me, that God was calling me to to be there. Uh, And I turned, I had a a job offer in um, recruitment uh, that would have paid a lot more than this internship did. Uh, And it was the easiest decision to turn it down because I just knew that God was calling me. And, And as I started my role there, being involved in children's and student ministry, Uh, with just a bit of youth work sprinkled in around the sides, I knew, again, I was doing the right thing. Doing ministry and in particular helping other people along their journey of discipleship um, through mentoring. Maybe I did my first ever sermon, um, leading a small group. I just knew somehow as I was doing this, I was doing the will of God. It was like my heart was beating in the same time as God's. They were in rhythm together. And this is my second point, because I think listening is the will of God. Sometimes as we hear it, we get an internal conviction that we're doing the right thing or God is calling us to something. We just know there's an internal response and a feeling that just, yes, this is what I'm called to do. It might not be a a big voice that talks to us, but just an internal conviction that this is actually what God is calling me to do. So as I finished my internship year, I concluded that God was calling me into some longer form of ministry and uh, 
Um, because I'd struggled with faith as a student, I thought particularly student ministry was what I maybe had a calling towards. Um, I wanted to help students not do what I had done uh, and kind of journey with the kind of real res- wrestle with the real lessons and the real difficulties that sometimes can come as students. And it turned out that my line manager at this church, who was a full-time student worker, she'd been there for 10 years. It turned out she was leaving. And the church, they offered me her job. And I was so excited. That was brilliant. That was exactly what I wanted. Um, I was over the moon because it was a job I wanted at a church I absolutely loved. And I was so excited. But at this time, uh, the curate of the church I dipped my toe in the water at, um, at during university in my final year, he got in contact and said, we're thinking about getting a student worker. Um, is this something you might be interested in looking at? Um, now, in this first instance, um, I must admit, I, I, did, I wasn't that bothered by that kind of concept. I'd already got my dream job offer, so I didn't want to do that. But um, the, the important thing I want to bring out, and this is my third point, is that both, for some reason, uh, both my home church and my, this, this church I dipped a toe in, they felt that God was calling me into some kind of student ministry as well. There was an, as, although I had an internal conviction, I received an external confirmation that actually this was, that I heard God right. <laughs> so it wasn't just me going off on a whim thinking, oh, I'd love to do this. <laughs> it was actually people, other people had gone, no, no, we agree with that. We think this is right. So that was, that was really uh, big for me. And for many, if you're listening to and trying to discern the will of God in a particular moment, for many of you, the external confirmation will come first. People will hear it first before you do. Um, you know, and as we listen to God in prayer together, often other people can see God's call on your life before you do. Um, but for me, I had that internal conviction of a call into ministry and then an external confirmation. Does that make sense? So we've got the internal and the external. So, as I said, back to my story, the, the, my first instinct was to say no to that job. Um, there, was, there was two main reasons. Firstly, I'd already got my dream job offer. And secondly, the second, this second church was a Church of England church. Yuck. <laughs> Who wants to be in a Church of England church? Am I right? No. <laughs> in my mind, this is what I was thinking. I'm like, well, I think the curate, he's great. I, I knew him vaguely. But the Church of England is full of boring ritual and liturgy and all these things that uh, I, as a Pentecostal free church person, just couldn't stand. And there was no way I would end up there, would they? Yes. <laughs> but I did go and visit the church. I, again, I, I thought I'd go and, go and visit a Sunday just to kind of out of respect for my friends as much as anything else. Um, however, just as I had done a year before, Again, as soon as I walked into the place, it felt like God went, boom, internal conviction. I knew that what God was calling me to do. I was looking, I was in the service, I was like, oh, I could do that, I could do that. Oh, I love what that's going on there. This, this liturgy thing, I actually agree with what they're saying. That's crazy. <laughs> and, this, and I was astounded, but actually God, again, changed, kind of changed my direction. I had an extreme excitement to be there. And again, an internal conviction. I didn't have an audible voice like Paul on the Damascus Road, but I did get that kind of internal heart knowledge. This is what God was calling to me to do. And I suppose this is my fourth point a little bit, because if I hadn't gone to that church that morning, I wouldn't have known. And I think sometimes as we try and listen to God in the act of doing, we have to push doors. 
We have to step out and test what God may or may not be calling us to do. God closes some doors, he opens others. And as we listen to him in this action of stepping out, we can actually sometimes discover the will of God and listen and hear him. We don't just listen passively, but we can actively be listening to God as we try things and see if, they, see if they're right. If opportunities are open, uh, then great. But if, if they don't, you know, if God doesn't want us to do something, he will make that abundantly clear. That's my experience. He will make it abundantly clear. So after deciding to work for an Anglican church, this place in Egham in Surrey, I continued listening to God for what I was to do both there and beyond. Uh, and being in my early mid-twenties, it brought with it a lot of opportunities to listen and discern the will of God for my life and for the, my new uh, wife. I just got married. And after two years working as a student pastor, I began pushing another door and began testing a call to ordination. If maybe it wasn't just student ministry that God was calling me to, but something different and beyond. Again, this was something I did with other people, both in my church and in my diocese. Again, I came to a point of internal conviction and received external confirmation from loads of people and most importantly from a bishop's advisory panel, uh, which was a three-day interview uh, that I went to with, where I had to give presentations and have loads of interviews and write some things. And it's a bit like SAS selection, but with less activity, less, less activity and lots more tea. Uh, it was, anyway, they recommended me for training. They felt they agreed. Uh, that God was calling me to ordination and that's what brought us to Bristol and ultimately here, to Down End. So that's my story as succinctly as I can bring it together uh, of my journey to ordination. But my four points don't just emerge out of my life. If we can turn to our reading of Acts 16, again, I, I, want, I think all four of these things appear. So our reading from Acts 16, I'll just find it myself, I've lost the page. The first thing I want to note is that Paul is not alone in listening to God. So Paul is there. It says Paul, Silas and Timothy and other people, he had companions. They are there. There's a plurality of action uh, and they are listening to God's call together. So again, don't listen to God on your own. Listen together. Don't do solo Christianity. Do, group, do everything in a plurality as a church. So that's the first point. Second point, Paul has an internal conviction that God is calling him to the Greeks and to Macedonia because he has a dream and he is utterly convinced, no, this is what God is calling us to do. Third point, he had an external confirmation. See, the final verse in that passage says this. It says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, in our English translation, that might be, that last word, concluding, is a little bit lost. Uh, it's a plural verb. It's a plural verb, verb. So it's not just that there was a conclusion that we follow, but it's actually we together concluded that God was calling us to go to Macedonia. There was an external confirmation. So a, a better translation but not quite as smooth might be after Paul had seen the vision we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia we all concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel for to them do you see what I mean there's an external confirmation of Paul's internal dream it wasn't just a singular 
Paul's had a dream, off Paul goes. It was Paul had a dream, we all concluded, we all externally confirmed that that is what God's calling us to. But also, just as Jesus listened in moments of action, this whole situation arises out of Paul pushing doors. And if I read verses 6 and 7, where this scenario comes from, Paul and his companions travelled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. They tried to go to Asia. They thought, we want to preach the gospel. They pushed the door, but it didn't open. They pushed the door. They tried to do it. Then verse 7, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter the Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do it. They were desperate to preach the gospel in these places. They were pushing the door. They were testing the call. They were li- but actually, they were still attentive to God's will. And they were listening, and they discovered that actually, no, God didn't want them to do that. He had a different plan for them. And then when they get the call, that's what they hear. That's where they respond, and they go. They're not passively waiting for They're not sat in their rooms going, we'll just wait for God to call us. They're trying things out, and they're listening, and they're doing. Does that make sense? So, don't do things on your own. We, as we listen, we get internal conviction. We get external confirmation and we can listen whilst actively testing and pushing doors. They're my four points. So what do we do with all this? Well, we're all praying for different things uh, and in different situations. I know, you know, I've talked about my kind of journey into ordination. You may not be anywhere near that kind of uh, place in your life, but we're all praying for different things. And Kathy said on Sunday that prayer is a two-way conversation, as Joe said this morning. It is a conversation. It is a two-way act. We have to be listening. Small things, big things. We listen to God as we pray. And we look for him to speak. Just have a think about those things that you're praying for at the moment. Have a think about how you can be listening to God as you pray. What confirmation, what internal conviction. How can you test what you might have heard? How can you do it together and not on your own? Shall I pray?